Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway in Portland, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., currently on Zoom and broadcast live on Facebook. Visit our website at hopegateway.com to learn more. Whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. Those of you who missed it earlier, I am Sarah Ewing Merrill, the pastor here, and I use she and her as my pronouns. Good morning. It's been a fun August with some fun stories along, in, on, and in the water. And thanks to Larry for sharing the story of Jonah last week. I picked today's story because I assumed of things I assumed to be true about it, but found in studying the passage that my assumptions weren't accurate, at least not all of them. Humans are pretty excellent assumers, aren't we? Give us a little bit of information and we'll run to all kinds of conclusions about it. Our brains are designed to make sense of things, and so any bits of conflicting or curious information causes us to make up our own stories, to resolve the tension in us. So here's a little illustration of that. Somebody tell me what the first square says. They're triangles. What does the first square say? Somebody be bold and say it. The king of the Jews. What does the second square say? Wind in the willows. No, it doesn't. Jim sees it. What's wrong with all of these statements? I didn't see it until somebody explained it to me. There's two thus. There's two thes in every statement, but your brain just puts them together because that makes a lot more sense, right? And they're separated just enough that you don't see it. You don't comprehend it. You don't understand it. What your brain did is delete information quickly to make sense of the information. Today's story is the story of Lydia's encounter with Paul's entourage and her conversion to Christianity. What my brain remembered about the story, which I hadn't read any time recently, was that she and other women were gathered for prayer when Paul came upon them. In my mind, it's a very, very short story a few sentences, and one of a handful that depicts early female leaders in the church. In my mind, it was a story of Paul closing, calling the lowly outsider who had made her spiritual community of one that gathers outdoors by the river. A perfect story for this year. 
Now that I've been schooled in the background of this story, it's not all that I imagined, but I think it's still a perfect story for this series. So let's read from the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, in chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. We sailed from Trous for some Samothrace and came to Neapolis the following day. They're traveling from here to there and everywhere and on their way to Macedonia. From there we went to Philippi, a city of Macedonia's first district and a Roman colony. We stayed in that city several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the riverbank where we thought there might be a place for prayer. When we sat down and began to talk with the women who had gathered there, one of those women was Lydia, a Gentile God-worshipper in the city of, from the city of Thyatira, a dealer in purple cloth. As she listened, the Lord enabled her to embrace Paul's message. Once she and her household were baptized, she urged, Now that you have decided that I am a believer in the Lord, come and stay in my house. And she persuaded us. In other translations, the persuaded word is a little bit stronger. But they're all twisting her arm. She's twisting their arms to come. My first assumption that I had that has been corrected by experts that I've read this week says the word that is interpreted as a place for prayer is actually a word for a building, a synagogue, that is built for Jews in the diaspora, Jews living away from Israel. It's a word that's used for a place where Jews gather for prayer on the Sabbath. Yes, it's outside the city along the river, but it's not a secret clandestine location. Many synagogues were built along the water, water sources to have access to water for ritual cleansing and baptisms. Various scholars make different assumptions about the fact that the only, only women are mentioned gathering there. Most of them assume that there weren't enough men to have a minion and therefore it wasn't a legal synagogue. That's quite possible. For some reason, Paul, for some reason, Paul chose to meet with a group of women gathering. And Lydia, a foreigner to Philippi, an immigrant, but a woman of means and therefore power and authority was the one who became a leader of the Christian community at Philippi. Paul and his crew stayed in Philippi for over a week because they were there for at least two Sabbaths and went back to the same location for prayer that next week. Lydia is baptized along with her whole household in the river by the synagogue. They all enter the river and are baptized in the way of Jesus. Lydia is assumed to be a widow or a divorced woman, a woman who has authority over her own household. And at the end of the story about her life, after she is baptized, 
The men have their arms twisted to be convinced that she was really a believer in Jesus and that they should come and stay with her. They did stay for at least a week, and they recorded her name and the story about her. So they were convinced. Lydia is a merchant in purple cloth which is a color that only the wealthy wear. She is a person of means, and it is not unreasonable to imagine that she was one of the patrons of Paul, a person who funded his ministry and covered his expenses. The fact that Paul and his crew needed to be convinced to take advantage of Lydia's hospitality indicates to me that he wasn't. this wasn't how they envisioned things going in Philip. Paul had a vision that sent him to Macedonia, to Philippi. So he had some expectation of how things would go there. And probably winning the favors of a wealthy Gentile woman was not on his list. This, of course, is the man who wrote, Women should not teach men and should be silent in church. But I'm not going to unpack that today. What I do think this story of complicated statuses and authorities teach us is that no one person fits a simple profile. It is 100% true that individuals and groups of people have experienced oppression and opportunities have been withheld from them. It is also true that each person is gifted in their own uniqueness and that they have something unique in and of themselves to enrich their community and the whole of humanity. Lydia had the means to be an asset to the Christian movement in Philippi and beyond. She might not have been seen for the assets that she had and that she was until she made Paul see things differently than his own assumptions. Who is it in your life that you assume has nothing to give and is only a taker? Who do you think has nothing to teach you and everything to learn from you or others? Who do you think has no influence or power? If we come to see each other, to come without assumptions, we might just perceive the hidden gifts that each person has, and it might just change everything. I came across a quote by Bell Hooks, the famous writer who explored the intersectionality of race, capitalism, and gender, who died this past December. I love this quote because I think it turns our assumptions about who is worthy and who isn't on their head. She writes, to create loving men, we must love males. Loving maleness is different from praising and rewarding males for living up to sexist defined notions of male identity. 
Caring about men because of what they do for us is not the same as loving males for simply being. When we love maleness, we extend our love whether males are performing or not. Performance is different from simply being. In patriarchal culture, males are not allowed to be simply who they are, to the glory of their own uniqueness. Their value is always determined by what they do. In an anti-patriarchal culture, males do not have to prove their value and worth. They know it from birth, that simply being gives them value, the right to be cherished and loved. It's not just males either. Whether you are male or female or non-binary, whether you are an immigrant, whether you are struggling to get by, whether you have proven yourself by performing, or whether you feel like you never can prove yourself, no matter how hard you try, you have the right to be cherished and loved. You do not have to prove your value and your worth. If we look hard enough, we will see that every person has hidden gifts for us all. Every person. May we live expectantly without assumptions about who is more important or worthy. May we be open to the unexpected ways that people in our lives will teach us. May we learn to be more compassionate, more loving, more generous from observing others. And may we follow the path of Jesus, like Lydia did, along the water, in the water, and beyond the water. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. To hear more about Hope Gateway and to discover how together we can do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God, visit our website at hopegateway.com.